The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. There we go. So, um, probably most of you, if you show up for church on a Sunday morning, you're expecting somebody to get up here and open their Bible, or we've had a few times that we've had like three people take turns and get up here and everybody shares a little something, but you expect to open your Bible to do this. Of course, I hope you all realize how privileged you are that you actually own a copy of God's Word that you can read, think about that, through most of the history of the church for Really, for like the first 1,500 years of the church, uh, or maybe 1,400 years, when they got together, you know what they did? They sat and listened. <laughs> they sat and listened because they didn't have Bibles that they pulled out of a Bible bag or something like that. They didn't have a set of notes. They didn't pull out their pen and take notes. They just had to listen because there wasn't a Bible that they could look at. The, they, the church, the group of people, might have had a Bible that they shared among the teachers. This was actually very common through much of the history of the church. And on top of that, there was a good portion of the people that weren't literate and they didn't have the ability to read. I mean, they could read enough to kind of conduct daily business, but they couldn't have read the word of God. And on top of that, during another good chunk of the history, the word of God wasn't even in their language. They kept it out of their language. If you, when, when you had the Catholic Church being the dominant uh, institution for a long time, they kept the Bible in Latin, and they didn't want it translated into the language of the people. And there were actually people that were burned at, at a cross that were killed because they translated the Bible into the common language of the people. So I hope you all appreciate the fact that you have this, that you take home, and I, I'm not going to ask for a survey, but I bet a bunch of you have probably multiple copies at your house, okay? I know Stan, Stan stands on the, I know he does. I see the stack of them that he has sitting over there and he's got some on the bookcase in the kitchen uh, or in the dining, dining room. It's like that. I have two that sit next to my chair in the living room like that. So, and I don't have my phone up here. I leave it with Peggy so it doesn't go off. But I mean, think about that. How many, how many of you actually follow along your church on your phone? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, see, there's there's about six or seven of you in here that do that. Um, I I'm still. This is just my personal preference. I still like this better than than the Bible on my phone because I'm still a note writer and I still have to write notes down. So if Jim connects a couple of verses or Josh connects a couple of verses or whoever's teaching does, I like to look at that and go, oh, that's actually a good connection, and I create a note for myself that I can come back to, things like that. So, the Word of God. All of that is a long introduction to the fact that the Word of God is a very important part of why we gather. And so this is what our study is today, as we're continuing looking at the dynamics of the church. And I think that this is important. It's one of the reasons that we devote a significant chunk of time to the teaching of your Word. It's still, in many churches across America, I think, and we are maybe more unique for this, there were parts of Europe that this would be true, that study of the Word of God is kept down to, well, that man better keep it, do his best to keep it to about 20 minutes. 
because I'm always because people always say, well, people don't have an attention span to listen longer than 20 minutes, but they can sit and binge watch 20 hours of some TV show, <laughs> you know, things like that, or they can sit for three hours and watch the what's that team called? The Seahawks? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, but no, but seriously, I mean, we can sit and watch, we can watch sports all afternoon. We do these kind of things, but they when it comes to, to what, what, or listen to podcasts. Listening. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to podcasts for hours, but we don't, but we don't, we have a tough time sitting and listen to somebody teaching the word of God. And, and I'm glad you have these, as I already said, but we had a lady in our church many years ago, uh, has passed away, sat over here most of the time. And she very seldom ever followed along in her Bible because she said that was hard for her. It was easier for her to just listen to somebody teach. And because we had a speaker here once that said, now let's look at your Bible. And he looked up and she was looking at him and he says, let's look at our Bible. He looked up and she was still looking at him and he goes, I said, we need to look at your Bible. Don't look at me. <laughs> and she was a little bit like, oh. You know, because she was, I, she figured he was probably talking to her, but she said, if I keep looking down at my Bible, my, my mind gets distracted by this up and down and up and down. So she was a listener. And there are people that are oral learners more than visual learners, right? So anyway, all of that to say, let's look at some verses at the very beginning just to remind ourselves that this, how important this is. And then I want to look at a couple passages at the end they're going to talk about situations that I think we need to think seriously about with, about with regard to God's word in our lives and in the life of the church. So we're going to put in in Acts chapter 2 today. Sorry for the very long introduction here today, but Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is after you've had uh, close to 3,000 people that have been saved on the day of Pentecost. And it says in verse 42, let's go to verse 41 just so you can see what I was referring to. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls or 3,000 people. And they were continually, notice this, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They don't have Bibles. They're just listening to the apostles teach. The apostles aren't, I don't think the apostles are even unrolling scrolls up there and say, let me read to you today from Isaiah. Because they are teaching here practical teaching for the church. So this is already becoming some New Testament doctrine that they're communicating. And it says they were devoted to this. Hmm. Okay, I messed one of these, one of my slides up. Anyway, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I must have written over it. What? Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know why it does that to us here, why it disconnects. Just give me a second here and we'll reconnect here. Are you on church? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm connected. Unless it reconnected somewhere else. No, there we go. Okay. So, but they were continually being devoted. And that word devoting means they were holding fast to this teaching. But it says also the other part of that there, that they were doing this. This was, this was an ongoing situation for these people, okay? Um, think about it this way. How many of you, I'm not asking for any raising of hands because I know there's some that do this, but how many of you actually like go a whole day and don't eat intentionally? I can guarantee you. Oh, I asked for nobody to raise their hands, Jim. I didn't want to know. <laughs> Just kidding. No. I'll leave now. <laughs> I'm not a 
I, I am not a faster. Does anybody know what the word snarky means? <laughs> snarky, that, that describes Tim when Tim goes too long without eating. I'm getting better at handling it, but it's still... But I just always think we are used to regularly dining, managing the fact that we need to eat. I'm learning to not overeat, learning to eat the right things that kind of carry me through. But nonetheless, you do that, right? These people, what is the word of God to us? This is spiritual food. And God doesn't want us to go on a fast from this. So this is what they're doing. They're devoting themselves. Turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 6. We're not going through every reference on teaching in here, but I do want you to notice some key things about teaching here in the book of Acts. And this is the one that we have here. The first big issue that the church has to deal with comes up uh, uh, in Acts chapter 6, and it says in verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing, that is in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve, who are the twelve? The apostles, okay. They, uh, they summoned or called the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable. Now that's the word. I went through a whole bunch of translations for this word desirable. But it's the word pleasing. It's a Greek word that means pleasing. This is not a pleasing thing. Look at that. It just did it again. I, you're just going to have to just look at that because I can't seem to keep that connected for some reason today. But it says here, it says that they called then the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not pleasing for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So what is happening with these people, what's happening with these individuals is that they are spending all their time making sure everybody's getting their daily administration of that, and the ministry of the Word is being neglected. They don't have time to be communicating the teaching of the Word. Notice what it says. This was something going on daily. What does that say about the nature of the teaching that's going on? It's also going on daily. Daily they are involved in teaching these people the Word of God. That is daily what's happening. So, we go on from here, in, uh, from Acts chapter 6, I want to go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, and when we get there, we're going to go to verse 26. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. Oops, wrong chapter. Uh, the gospel is, tr is moving out. It has gone up into the region of Antioch. Antioch is kind of up on the northwest or northeast coast there of the Mediterranean, uh, northwest of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Barnabas comes out there, sees that this considerable number is here. Verse 25, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for a whole year they met with the church and taught a considerable number, considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You're going to hear all kinds of things about what it meant for them to be called Christians, that the people of Antioch were going, you Christians, you Christ followers, but that's not what's happening. That's not what is happening. They're not calling them Christ followers. The word called is talking about that the believers were actually conducting their business, their daily way of life. They're conducting it as anointed ones. In other words, 
They sat under Paul and Barnabas' teaching for a year and they learned what the Spirit's doing. They learned how to cooperate with this. Prior to this, whenever he had people filled by the Spirit, it's not our filling. It's the fact that this guy isn't put in a situation and the Spirit fills him and takes over and makes sure every word coming out of his mouth is exactly what God once said. I wish that was true here. You ever feel like that, Jim? Ben? Josh? You ever feel when you get up, you wish that you didn't ever stumble over things? You never gave the wrong reference? Uh, <laughs> you know? You said the wrong word and your wife's down there going, no, no. <laughs> You know, I wish that that were the case, but that's not what was happening. It's at this juncture, having sat under the teaching of the word, that for the first time, the disciples actually learned to live out the work of the Holy Spirit. But it took teaching to learn how to do that. And it wasn't teaching that took one day or two days or a week of meetings. It took a year for this to transpire, for these people to really learn what's going on in this regard. Let's turn down to uh, Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. In Acts chapter 18, we find that uh, Paul ends up in Corinth. We looked at this on Wednesday night when we were looking at the issue of fear and the problem of fear uh, that Satan uses and how he in, got Paul intimidated and Paul shut up and went home and he quit preaching. And the Lord has to say, Paul, quit being silent. I've got a lot of people in this city. And so in Acts chapter 18 in verse 11, and it says, And he then, Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So 18 months, Paul was there teaching in the city of Corinth. 18 months. Doesn't seem very long to us. A year and a half, how fast does that go by? I was just looking at the other day where somebody said, hey, this is what life was like three years ago. And they were showing something about what was going on with COVID. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's three years ago already. Wow. <laughs> it, seems, it seems to me like, well, it was, you know, was just a little bit ago. But three years have passed in that regard. And so a year and, a year and six months doesn't seem like a very long time to us. But I think in the next passage we're going to look at, we're going to see the significance of a year and a half. It's very different. If you had a pastor come in and teach for a year and a half in the way we do church today, you, guys, you would learn something, but you wouldn't learn much compared to what Paul was doing. And I want to see that by going to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And as always, you've got a question or something that comes to mind that you'd like to like to, me to slow down or come back to just raise your hand or raise your voice and uh, we'll get to that. But Acts chapter 19, we're going to come back to this passage here in a couple weeks or a few weeks here. We're going to talk about is the church a safe space? That's kind of language today in our culture, but there actually is some biblical concept of the safety of what church is supposed to be. We're going to talk about it and this is part of the issue right here. It says in verse 8, And he entered the synagogue, this is Paul, they're in the city of Ephesus, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning. And that word that's translated reasoning in the, in the New American Standard is a word meaning to have a conversation, to be talking through. And in fact, there's a place where it's used in the Gospels and it's talking about the disciples when they were walking with Jesus and the disciples among them. I don't know what you ever think of what it looked like when the disciples traveled together with Jesus. Do you ever feel like it's a huddle and they're all like, like this? 
But they're all walking and they're spread out. Who knows? They might have been spread out over an eighth or a quarter mile, maybe less, maybe a tenth. But they're kind of all together. But back there among themselves, it tells us that these guys are saying, hey, what about this thing? And hey, what about that? And what do you think about that? And they're talking, and it uses this word. They are the, between themselves, not with Jesus, but between themselves they're discussing. So this is one of Paul's, the ways that Paul taught, was that he, he talked, he took questions and answered questions and asked questions of people to, to get them to think about these things. And so he was talking through and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them. And then I, I looked at a whole bunch of Bibles over this last week, looking back at this, and it says, and took away, but literally in the Greek is, he separated, he separated the disciples. We'll come back and deal with that in a few weeks here. Reasoning then daily, same word, daily in the school of Tyrannus. We don't know what that is, the school of Tyrannus. The word school a, meant a meeting hall. That's all that word meant. We don't know if it had the name Tyrannus over the top of it. We don't know if Tyrannus is the guy that owned it or maybe the guy that had it built maybe 200, 300 years before. We don't know. But that's where they're at. They're in a meeting hall, separate from the synagogue. And they meet daily, he says there, for, verse 10, this took place for two years two years. Could you imagine what you would learn about God's word if you daily were together with the believers and every day of the week you sat and listened to Paul teach? And I've told you this before. There are two Greek manuscripts. I don't think that this is probably scripture, but I think it expresses a tradition. And those two manuscripts both say in verse 10, and this took place for two years, and it says he did this from one of the Bible, one of the versions says from 11 to 3, and the other one says 12 to 4. In other words, both of them agree on the same thing, that Paul taught every day for four hours. That was a tradition that, that developed. It, Paul didn't come in and have a 20-minute message or even an hour message. Paul taught for four hours. Now, again, it doesn't say that in Scripture. We have two Greek manuscripts that say it. I don't think that there's good, good support that those are part of the text, but I think it shows us the way they understood what Paul did. It expresses a tradition that Paul taught at length. And people go, how in the world would you do that every day? Well, just think of all the things that we do. What do you do, what do, you do when you get up in the morning? You get dressed, you eat, you go off to work. But when you come home from work, then what do you do? Well, you got chores that you got to take care of. Or, you know, you, gotta, you got activities, you know. You get together with your club and you do something, whatever that's it, whatever the club's doing, you get together with them or something like that. And we've got all these things that distract us from what they did. Every day, this was so important to them that every day these people get, doesn't say the whole group was there every day. Some of them may not have had the time to do that every day. Some of them may be able to do that maybe three days a week or four days a week, but they're getting together. Think of what that would do to your life if you spent, if you spent seven days a week, or let's let's just make it five. Let's take two days that you got other things that you can't m meet with them for through those. Think about what, how that would affect your life if five days a week you met with believers and sat and had somebody teach you the Word of God and you were interacting with them, because that's what Paul says. There was an interaction. That's what he's teaching. How would that affect us? 
So, it's, it's a, I'm just going to say this um, with regard to like going to Bible college. I've known, I've known people over the years that go to Bible college, not because they think they want to be a pastor, but because they really want to learn the Word of God. And the thing is, is in our churches, we don't provide the opportunity for people to really learn the, the Word of God like that. Because we have, like in our church, every Sunday you've got three opportunities. And if you wanted to travel to Mattawa, if you're from, from here, or if you're in Mattawa and you wanted to travel up here, you could get in on two studies during the week. So that would be five studies a week that you have the potential of getting in on two. That would be five days. But one of those is just, or five times a week. That's what I'm saying. Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday and Thursdays, I was saying. So, I mean, you could do that. Then there's other things that go along that we were talking about fellowship last week. I always tell Nelsons and Lowell's this. My favorite part of, when, of Thursday night Bible study is actually sitting at the table drinking coffee afterwards and visiting and that. I love the Bible study part. And I kind of like when now that we've been doing supper on Wednesday nights, I look forward to that as much as I look forward to the Bible study. I love this time together. But this is all very important to understand how they were doing these things. It's, uh, to me, tremendously interesting of how vital the Word of God is. Um, we in, in, uh, and I'm not saying it wasn't true then. It's real easy for us to go, oh, in modern society, we're so distracted. You know, we can come home and you can binge watch TV all night or something like that. But you know what? The thing is, distractions have been around since the beginning of the world. We're going to look at the, on Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking at the world system here in a few weeks. And the world system is full of distractions, and you can see some of those things in the book of Genesis. So, here we have uh, these people meeting every day with Paul. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Now, here's why, here's why, one of the reasons why the Word of God then is so important for these people. Acts chapter 20, and look with me at verse 32. Paul is talking to the elders. What do we call elders in the church? What's the term we use? Pastors. We use the term pastors. Okay. So he's talking to the elders from the church at Ephesus, the church we just got done looking at. Paul's been away. He's made another trip. He's come back. He's called for these guys. And he says, now I commend you to God and to the word of or about his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Now, I want to, uh, two things on this that I want to look at. He says, I'm commending you to God, but I'm also commending you to the word. Because you can be commended to God. You could just walk around all day and say, well, he commended me to you up there, God. I don't know what that means. But it's the word about God's grace. They had to have learned this from Paul. And, he, and essentially Paul's saying, what I have taught you about God and how his grace works, you now need to take that truth and you need to be able to relate to that because that truth then, and this is the second thing I want you to catch out of this here. Um, he says, it is able to build you up you want to become stronger? You want to become more stable in your Christian life? You need, you need the Word of God. You need the Word about God's grace. You need the work of God. But it's also able to give you an inheritance. Now, I'm, I, I want to take a survey here. Because I really want to know what you think about this word. Because I, I, Anyway, I don't want to say any more because I don't want to influence your decision. When he says inheritance, what is he talking about? Is he talking about... Is, how many of you think he's talking about 
someday when you die or at the rapture? Raise your hand if you think it's when you die or at the rapture. Nobody? You know why? Because if you get an inheritance, do you get an inheritance if you're dead? No. You get an inheritance because somebody else died. And we get this mixed up a lot of times that we think the idea of an inheritance is something out there in the future, but an inheritance is something you're getting right now. And so he says, when you live by grace, you're actually able to enjoy being able to get this inheritance from God now. And it's not an inheritance of gold. There's no cash. There's no stocks and bonds. It's an inheritance and be able to live out the life of God right now. But he says, it's the word about God's grace and God, most importantly, that's able to do this. But you need to, the word, word about God's grace so you know how God does this. And so he commends them to this. Meaning, Paul says, this is, this is why what you've been taught, because he's only here for an evening. He hasn't in an evening taught them a, a whole bunch of the word of God. It's a short evening. He's looking back to that time that he spent two years teaching them every day. That was where these people learned about God and about God's grace. And he commends them to that. Let's go now from here to the book of uh, 2 Timothy. And we have very interesting three, three song, strong statements that Paul leaves with Timothy here in the book of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and this is one of the first ones that he gives. Verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Notice what Paul says. And the things which you have heard from me through many witnesses, meaning there were a lot of other people there. They heard this. Some of them even repeated what I've said. He says, these things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he's think, these things then entrust or commit to faithful men. You don't want to just, it's not just that you, you go, hey, I keep picking on this, we're changing names. I was going to do Bob. Let's, we had the word Eugene earlier. Here, so let's say we got a guy, hey, Eugene. I want to train you in the Word of God. Why? Oh, I just think I'd, I'd like to do that. You know why Paul took Timothy with him on, his, on the second missionary journey? Because when he came back, between the time that Timothy had gotten saved, the time that Tim, Paul had been away, and then he returns there to where Timothy was from, Timothy had distinguished himself among the believers he had taken what they had received from Paul and he had grown. He had used it. It was, he was, they, Paul could see it had made a difference in Timothy's life and that Timothy was using that with regard to other people. And so he's, I want to take you with me. <laughs> I need some guys like you to travel with me that I know I can, can trust. And Paul did trust Timothy because after the situation that happened in Philippi and Thessalonica, we're told in First uh, Thessalonians 3 that Paul sent Timothy back up to Thessalonica to check and make sure they were okay and to fill in things Paul hadn't taught them. You don't do that with a novice. You don't do that with some kid that you got to go wipe their nose for themselves all the time. You do that for somebody that actually has shown to be faithful. And so Paul says, first of all, I want you to commit these things to faithful men, people that have demonstrated themselves to be faithful to what God's doing. Which sort are then competent or strong enough to teach others, not just to teach teachers. To me, this is a little bit of a, 
sort of a nervous trend for, for me today, watching what goes on um, in, out there among evangelical people that I know, that everybody wants to get their PhD now. And I remember a time that I was thinking that. I thought, I think maybe God wants me to go back to Minnesota and get my PhD and work in a, in a seminary. But you know the thing that God kept bringing me back to? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do this? Because you know what? There's more and more men that they go to seminary and they don't want to come here. They want to go to Seattle because they want a church of 500. They don't want to pastor 20, 30, maybe 40 people. They don't want to do that. For a number of reasons. And we could chase all those reasons down, but they don't want to do that. He says, you need to find someone that's... And, and so then a lot of these guys, they want to go on, and I want to teach at a seminary. I want to teach, I want to teach other teachers. And I've got some friends, and we've talked about this, and I've talked about this with, with Josh. Uh, I think I've maybe mentioned this to Jim, but in reality, I think this is what we're supposed to be doing. I don't think we're going to take people and say, we're going to send you to a seminary in Seattle or this seminary out there in Minnesota or something. I think if you see people qualified, you need to be training them right here. You need to set this up. This is what Paul was expecting Timothy to be doing there in the city of Ephesus is training people right there to do this. Do you know why Jim down, I mean, Jim works at teaching the word of God, but do you know why, why would you say that you have some of what you have today? I don't, I'm not asking the question right. Let's, I'll just put this. Jim was in a church with a person that taught, and they had essentially a teaching program, right? Where they had Bible classes during the week that they made available for people to come in and sit under. So he was able to receive instruction and put those things together. And I know other, yes, yes, Peggy. So that word, man. That he's using here, it's just anthropos. It's not males. So, in fact, in, uh, in the, um, the 2020 edition of the New American Standard and the New Living Translation, they just translate it people. In other words, you can be training anybody. Was that, was that program you went through, Jim, was that limited to just guys? No. no. <clears throat> and Peggy went for, for a couple of years to a program like that. She wasn't able to go the whole time because we had a little girl and we didn't really take care of her, so that was kind of a challenge for her. But... Um, but that's the kind of thing that he's talking about. He says, you need to teach others that, or teach some that they will teach others, not just more teachers. It's the word heteros, different ones, non-teachers. In other words, you're training people, essentially, you're training your job replacement. <laughs> well, I, and I think about this. I mean, I, I feel really healthy. I just want you all to know. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to be 60 in two months. Whoa. 60 seemed like, when I came here, I was 27 years old, okay? And uh, I look back and I'm thinking, 60, wow, boy, that came up on me. <laughs> and what it makes you think about is, yeah, I, I can see potentially if the Lord doesn't come back, I can see that there's an end of the road out there. It, it becomes more vivid <laughs> in ways that I never thought of, you know? And as a result, you need to think about the fact that you want other people to be qualified to carry on what, what's going on here. Got that? That's what Paul tells Timothy to do, first of all. The second thing I want you to see is turn to chapter 3 in the book of 2 Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, and look with me at verse 14. He says, But you, however, continue in the things which you have learned and have become convinced, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings or scriptures which are able to give you wisdom, and I wouldn't say that leads to, but because of salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So he says, you've learned some truth. Don't deviate from that fact. That's a, that's a theme that Paul uses several times. Don't teach differently. Don't deviate. You stick with this. Because Paul has to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy and in other places, you got people that want to deviate. They get other crazy ideas in their head and things that they want to do, and they, they go down paths that aren't right. In fact, when he speaks to the Ephesian elders back there in Acts 20, where we were a little bit ago, he warns them, he says, you're going to have a problem with this. There are going to be unsaved people from outside that are going to want to come in, but you're going to have even some of you guys are going to rise up and try to take over and take people for themselves. So he says, Timothy, the things that you've learned, you need to stick with this. In other words, if, if, if I change in my thinking about something from the Word of God, and I, this has happened a few times over the years here from what I learned when I was in seminary, I spend, you would not believe how much time I spend going over that and checking myself. And I might sit on that for a couple of years because I'm like, this, I'm deviating from what I learned. And I want to be convinced that I'm deviating because I've convinced the Word of God is saying something different than what I got. That hasn't happened for the most part. Most of what I learned when I went to seminary and sat under the, and under the men that taught me there, most of that, as I've studied, has proven to be solid as I continue to study the Word of God. And so he says there, you continue in those things. And then we have the classic passage, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable. And then he gives four areas that can be profitable. It can be profitable in, in stuff that you just learn. That's the first word, teaching. It's profitable for reproof, saying, hey, that's not the way it is. Knock it off. And then correction. Well, if I'm going to knock it off, how do I fix that? That's the next part there. Correction. And then training in righteousness. That last part is practical instruction. How do I live righteously? Not just how do I not be bad. Can you, can, can you not be bad and still not live righteously? Yeah. Righteousness is not the absence of bad things. Righteousness is the, is the sphere of actually doing something good. And just for those of you that maybe need a review on this, what is, what is, it's not the only way, but what is the chief way that you and I live out righteousness today? Stan? Really loud. Loving. Loving. Thank you, Stan. Loving other believers. And we've looked at that before. We're not going to chase all that down. But yeah, that's the chief thing. But how do you love? How do you actually get to the point that you love? There's a lot of believers that don't understand that. So that the man of God, and this again is anthropos, so it would be the person, man or woman, this isn't just for the guys, that the man of God, he says, that the man of God might be thoroughly adjusted, fully equipped for every good work. I have not, never will go up a mountain like, well, like Rainier. I mean, I've gone up this mountain, but this is barely a mountain never by say. say. No. But, <laughs> but there's a couple, there are a couple of you that have. When you go up that mountain, do you want to just throw on that backpack that you, uh, you know, you throw your books in to go to school or something like that? And, oh, these tennis shoes are pretty good. And my blue jeans. Is that the way you want to try that? No. You want to be 
Equipped. You want to be outfitted. Yeah. In fact, I think Chris was telling me once, when you went up once, did you went with a group that they actually made sure you had all the outfitting one of the first times you went? Pardon me? Check to make sure it was good. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. See, so, so you want to be equipped. And the word of God, he says, equips you. It makes sure that you've got everything that you need for good works <coughs> or for a good work. If you're going to actually do the good work that, that God has for you, you need to take advantage of the word of God, taking advantage of a good way of what it does to equip you for those works. Now, having said that, now we come to the first of the two passages at the end, and it's the, the last of the three in, in 2 Timothy, but it's the first of the two here at the end that I really want us to think about here for a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly then charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, Whatever baggage you have with the word preach, that particular word is a word meaning you present it authoritatively. You don't stand up front and say, well, you know, this could mean this, and, and well, and, and it could mean this, and, and it could mean this, and well, I hope you find a good one in here that you like, because I can't tell you what it is. I have some things I haven't come to conclusions on, I'll be honest. But normally, I don't want to get up here and give you three options and say, take your pick. It doesn't make any difference. It'll make a difference how you understand it. So that's what that word preach the word is. Literally, it means you present it with authority, not by booming voice and making sure people know you're the boss and don't you question me. I was just sharing the other night at Bible study when we were talking about the role of women and I and. Uh, with this, and I remember the very first summer that we were here, or maybe sometime in that first year, I got done preaching on something, and I, I hadn't even got finished. This is back in the, it was after, anyway, I'm going to get distracted. After I was done, <laughs> Leslie comes up to me, and she comes up and she says, you were saying this today, on this verse here, and then you said this, but doesn't it, look at that, doesn't it say this here? Doesn't it say this here? I hadn't, well, it's not that I'd never had anybody ask questions about something, but I'd never had anybody kind of like challenge like that. And I was like, hmm. And I said, I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> so what I've learned to do. If somebody asks a question and I don't have an obvious answer, I'll have to get back to you. And you know what I did? I had to go back and I had to go through and study that that week. And you know what? I was, came back convinced I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. I had not read the text properly. See? And so when we're talking about preaching the word, he's not saying you stand up there and go, I'm the authority, don't you question me. That's not what it means. It means that you present it saying, this is the word of God. And I want, when we're done, I, I always hope that when we're done teaching this, that you don't go and, well, I, Tim said this, but I, I don't see how you got that out of the text. I want you to go and look at it and go, yeah, that's what it says. That's what's there. If I have to put together some long, crazy, strung-out argument or something like that that's kind of hanging by strings and straws, that's probably not a good thing to stand on. So he says, preach the word. And then we come to these next expressions. Be ready in season and out of season. Or put it this way, when it's seasonable or when it's not seasonable. What does he mean by seasonable or not seasonable? Well, keep going. 
He says, this which part of what you do, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In other words, when you are dealing with this, when you are presenting the word like this, and you're doing it when it's seasonable or unseasonable, these are the ways you're handling the word. You are using the word to demonstrate where people maybe need to change. That would be reproof or rebuke, knock it off. That's absolutely not right. Or then not only that, but then encouraging them. You don't want your your teaching all to be negative. And then it says, and you do so with all patience and practical doctrine. That last word for doctrine is didache, practical doctrine, doctrine that teaches you what you're supposed to do. Now, why does he have to say you need to be doing this? Verse three. Now, here's the seasonable unseasonable. For the time will come when they will not endure or put up with healthy, and he changes doctrine there from the word meaning practical doctrine to doctrine that doesn't govern your conduct, didascalia. This would be probably largely Old Testament doctrine in the Gospels. So they're going to come along, and when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that's for us. And you better know living the Christian life is hard, and you better stick with it, because if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be Jesus' disciple today. And people teach that. Some of you have probably heard somebody teach that. But that's not scripture for you and I. That was scripture for some people that were following Jesus, and they weren't even believers. Some of them were, but not all of them, and we're not here to go through all of that today. So they won't put up with healthy doctrine. What are they going to do? They're going to have their ears tickled. That's what they want. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their desires. In other words, they're... They're going to go out and find teachers that are going to tell them the word of God the way they want to hear it taught. And they want, they want those guys to come out there and say, hey, don't you want to be a David? Don't you want to face off against giants? Isn't that what you want to do? I look at that and go, you know what? God can take me through stuff because he took David through stuff. But he's given me no guarantee that I can take that enemy down. Because you know what? Paul didn't take any enemies down. Paul was jailed, Paul was beaten, Paul was whipped, Paul was stoned all by the enemies. And then he didn't get up and say, oh yeah? Here's a Superman punch. Send the guy into the next county. He didn't do any of that. He suffered. And I think that that's really important for us. We can go back and we look at these Old Testament stories and I love them. They encourage us. This is the kind of God that you are. But he has not promised or guaranteed me that he will do any of those things for me. I just need to know that the things he has promised, he's going to be faithful to do. And the Old Testament sometimes will demonstrate that faithfulness. And so he says, they're not going to put up with that. They want to hear how they can slay their giants. They want to know how they can topple the walls of their Jerichos in their life. In fact, it's one of the things I notice. I notice this with Christian music. I notice this with a lot of popular teaching. They erase the word sin. You ever notice that? How often the word sin is absent? And it's like, I'm broken. I have problems. Life's hard. But you fix me. Because that's what we like. Because that doesn't confront me as a sinner. It just means I just have some problems in my life. Telling you that you're a sinner and you need someone to take your sins and forgive you for that? because And that's, that's on you that you're a sinner? <laughs> that's a different thing than saying, because saying you're broken and have problems can be like, well, that was my mommy and my daddy did that to me. <laughs> you know, 
I didn't have good friends when I was a kid. Yeah, no. Second Corinthians chapter 12, exactly. That's exactly what Paul has to say there. And so if you understand this, what Paul is getting at here, he says the reason, Timothy, he says, you need to preach it when it's seasonable. In other words, you know what? And I hope it doesn't come to this here with us, but if it comes in here and I come in, and, and, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be here anymore. This guy's going to be teaching this. I don't want this. this I'm going to go find a church that'll give me what I want. I don't, I don't like that. I don't, and pretty soon I'm down here, and it's myself and my wife and Stan and Linda stuck around. <laughs> Pick it on Stan and Linda date. I don't know. But you, you get the point? He says, you keep doing it. You don't go, well, I guess we quit because nobody else wants to do it. He says, no, you teach it even when it's unseasonable. Even when people don't care for it. Even when people are like, again, again with this. There's a story about John the Apostle that after his release from the Isle of Patmos and his return to the area around Ephesus. Do you remember what did Jesus say to the church at Ephesus through John in Revelation 2? He says, you have, you have left your first love. You've abandoned your first love. Who should be your first love as believers? Other believers, because that's the way you love God. And John comes back, and you know what? His, his, they, they said, hey, it's John. Hey, we'd like you to teach us. Share something with us, the aged apostle. Share your wisdom with us. And he gets up there, and his message is, love one another. Good message, John. Thank you for that today. Would you come back next week? Sure. John comes back the following week, gets up there, and he preaches the exact same message, love one another. Week three. They, they, well, they, they forgive him for the first one because he's in the 90s, and we know everybody in their 90s are losing their mind. They don't remember anything, right? Isn't that what we always think? You know. So obviously, John's kind of, we'll give him another shot at this. Week three, come back. John comes back week three, and guess what? Third week in a row, John preaches the same message. Love one another. And they said, John, do you realize that you've told us the same message three weeks in a row? Why are you doing this? And you know what John says? Because you're to love one another. And if we do this, that's enough. That was his response. We're supposed to love one another. If we do this, that's enough, John says. And they all knew that they'd gotten this letter from the Lord Jesus Christ, penned by John as he was dictating, the Lord dictated it to, to, to John that said, you've left your first love. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, you preach it when it's seasonable and when it's unseasonable. You don't sniff the wind and go, oh, I think this is what they want to hear now. Oh, I think this is what they want to hear now. Oh, now this. That's not the way we do it. He says, you teach the word and you teach it authoritatively. You don't do what the people want. You don't tickle their ears. If you think the word of God sometimes pokes you hard and you're kind of, that makes you uncomfortable, you need to know it does it to me too because I have to study it before I teach it. And I might be doing it, I'll pick on Dwight. I might be thinking, oh, this would be a good one for Dwight. And about that fast, it's like, oh, and that would really be good for me too. <laughs> Usually that's the way it happens. Last passage that I want to look at with this today is in 2 Peter. 
this has become my this has become my new pastoral verse. I've shared this with some of you recently. Second Peter chapter one. We're going to put in in the middle of a context here, but we're going to go to verse 12. He says, therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though, notice this, he's not going to remind you of these things because you guys have forgotten this stuff. No, he doesn't say that. He says, even though you know them and are even stable in them. In other words, you guys got this stuff, but I'm going to remind you anyway. I'm going to venture to say for the most part, if I get up here or Jim gets up here or Ben gets up here or Josh gets up here, I'm going to venture to say most of you are probably going to go, oh, we, we've, we've heard this before. We've heard this before. And sometimes then as a pastor, you go, I need to teach them something different. I need to give them something different. What have, what have they not had before? Problem with that is Peter says, I'm going to, I'm going to keep on reminding you, even though you already know this, even though you're even stable in this. And then he says, established in the truth which is present with you, new NASB. Not, not, not the what Peter's saying. It's in this present truth. You know what Peter means by present truth? Take a guess what he means by present truth. What? It's New Testament doctrine. It's what Josh has been going over with us for 20 years downstairs. No, it's not that. It's what he's been going over this, who we are in Christ and how we live there. If that's how you, you have to know that to know how to live by grace. If I try to teach you to live by grace before you know that, you're not going to get grace right because it rests on that. To deal with your spiritual enemies, you're not going to be able to do that if you don't know who you are in Christ. You have to understand that. In other words, that's the foundation, who we are in Christ and who, who we are because they're in us. That whole John 14, 20, that's the foundation of all this. Your ability to pray rests on that. Your ability to be strong rests on that. All of this comes back to understanding this, and that is present truth. But the significance of that present truth is seen in the last verse of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Grow by or in grace. grace. That's what this is about. So notice what he says here then. He says even though, he says in verse 13, and I consider it right as long as I am in this, what does he say here? As long as I am in this, they have dwelling in the American standard. It's a tent. What is this thing right here that I'm dwelling in? It's a tent. It's a tent. And notice what he says. I'm going to stir up a reminder knowing that soon is the putting off of my tent, even as though our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. In other words, he says, I know it's going to be a little bit, and I'm going to take this down. He remembers what Jesus said in John 21, that, G that Peter would die for the cause of Christ. They would stretch out his arms. He would be crucified like Christ was. You can see that in John chapter 21. So he, said, he goes on there, and he says in verse 15, but I will be diligent in order that always after my departure, after, and that word for departure, it, this, I'm going to pronounce the Greek word for you and see if you can get what the Greek word is. It's the Greek word exodus. Exodus. What's exodus about? The departure of Israel from Egypt. After my departure, after I exit this place, that it'll cause you to remember these things or to have these things in your memory. 
And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, again, I feel healthy. I, I trust that the Lord will come back soon. But if not, you know, the years are getting closer. <laughs> it just reminds me of that. But I hope that if for some reason today I'm gone, that you wouldn't go, oh, what did that guy teach us when he was here a year out? What did Tim teach us? What, was, what did he tell us? Hope you'd go, oh, we were taught this again and again and again. There are things that, as parents, you all know what that's like, things that you drill into your kid's memory. I've talked to Ben about like coaching wrestling up there. And they, they, you run moves again and again and again, right? So that, it's, so that those guys don't have to at the last minute go, oh, now what do I do? Ah, freeze, and it's over. <laughs> no, they want it to be, what do you call muscle memory, right? It's like learning to play piano, guitar, all that stuff. It's muscle memory. Well, Paul is saying this is spiritual muscle memory. I want you to remember what we've taught you. Or Peter's saying this, what I've taught you after I'm gone. So you know one of the reasons we put a lot of emphasis on teaching the Word of God in our church? It's because we all realize that there's some time coming in which we don't have a lot of young people in here today, but we've got four young people, four, four of you under 20 year, and someday there won't be people around, you know. Kenya's going to wave goodbye to us here probably in the next year or so, and God will take her off somewhere else, and we hope that when she goes away then that she doesn't go out there and go, Oh, you know, oh, this person's teaching me this. I'll just take it all in. I hope that she's able to be discerning and go, oh, yeah, that matches the word of God. Wait a second. Because we all run into that, right? That you run into, yeah, Susan's back there. Because Susan's run into this. She's talked about this several times where you run into these situations where all of a sudden you got someone come along and they say this and you're going, wait a second. I learned this from the word of God and I can go to these scriptures and that's not right. Because we've all seen people that have gone off and swallowed something else and they come back and they're like, hey, this is, this is the new thing now. You know, we want them to be able to go and come back to the Word of God. Not just come back and go, oh, Tim said, come back to this. I was taught the Word of God. This is what it says. I think I've shared with some of you. I, had a, I sat under a Bible teacher for five years when I was growing up and he really was a Bible teacher. Now, he didn't really teach a lot of the Christian life, which, which kind of hampered me. But he taught us a lot of other Bible truths. And I remember, he says, or I remember when I went off to college, because of the things that he taught, there were certain doctrines that other people didn't know and were struggling with. I didn't struggle with. Because I knew what the Word of God said on those things. And it was because those things that I had been taught. And this is what Peter's saying. When I'm gone... After my departure, I want you to remember this. He says, you already know it, and you're even strong in it or stable. But I really want to make sure that you keep on remembering this when I'm gone. The word of God is very important in the life of the church. And Paul tells Timothy, you do it when people like it and when they don't. And Peter says, and I'm going to keep doing it even when you already know it. I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. And I hope that that's true of you as you have the opportunity to handle the Word of God and deal with other people, that even if you've shared that with them before, you share it with them again. I was giving Josh hard time about his study for 20 years, but you know, it's not been 20 years. But, but uh, I'm like, I don't care. You just keep on teaching it. 
because I can guarantee you these other guys that they teach in here and my wife run things off me, sitting down in Bible study with the Nelsons and Lowell's and all these different things. You guys feed stuff into me that you've picked up over time. And it helps me, and it reminds me, and it stabilizes me more in the truths of the Word of God. Father, we're thankful for your Word. We're thankful for the opportunity that we're able to gather and talk about this at length. I'm thankful for people that would be willing to sit here and take in your Word week after week, and sometimes, oftentimes, a few times a week, and to take it in because we realize just how valuable it is, because this is telling us what you're doing and what you have provided for us and how we can actually avail ourselves of these things. So we're thankful for your word, thankful for the work of the Spirit in our lives. It helps put these things together. And we're thankful for those that take the time to actually study the word of God and present it carefully and accurately to us. Thank you for all of these things that you are doing. Amen. Y'all have a great day.